When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, class. So today, we're going to talk about the Tua Tagovailoa situation, and that's the situation that everyone's talking about all weekend in the NFL, because everyone wants to know who to blame. And if I know one thing about middle school classrooms, it is that everyone likes to know who to blame. What is going on, Bayout Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here another edition of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports' biggest issues. And today, we're going to grade a thesis statement on the Tua Tagovailoa injury. So without further ado, let's jump on in. All right, so like we said, this week's thesis, looking at who to blame in the Tua Tagovailoa situation in Miami, the thesis statement reads... Firing the independent neurologist proves that the doctor was to blame for what happened to Miami Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. To that, I'm going to give a big fat D+. All right, so before we break down why this thesis gets a D+, we probably need to break down what happened. So unless you're like living under a rock or really, really busy last week, you probably saw what happened. But let's go ahead and explain for the folks at home that maybe didn't or maybe aren't the biggest NFL people what we're talking about with Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins and some doctor getting fired. First, on Sunday of NFL's Week 3, Miami played a crazy game against Buffalo in unreal heat and temperatures. In that game, Tua Tagovailoa takes a hit, which he falls backwards, isn't able to brace himself, and falls back and hits his head on the turf. As he gets up, he is woozy, stumbling, and actually like has to catch himself as he starts to fall forward on his way up as he returns the huddle. He gets dinged. They pull him out. They go check him out for concussion. He gets cleared in the concussion protocol and put back into the football game. Now, I think what's interesting here is, is that on that Sunday, you saw people on Twitter and on various social media forums saying that, oh, he's probably out there playing with a minor low-level concussion. There's no way that that's not what happened. The Miami Dolphins and the doctors came out and said it was actually a back injury. The back threw off his balance. That's why he fell forward, etc. I digress. I do think it's worth pointing out that on that crazy hot Sunday, things like the crazy hot humidity it was like 105 on the field plus, you know, bajillion degrees in humidity because it is the city of Miami and they are playing outside. And while the Miami sideline is in the shade, the field's in the sun the whole day. It's a midday game. It's all of those kinds of chaos or all those factors of chaos are happening at once. It does feel like 
that dehydration impacts this to some degree. I think it's natural for people to not understand this because if you're not around full collision contact sports a whole lot, you might not understand that a concussion can directly come from situations where players are more dehydrated because as you get more and more dehydrated, your body takes less and less care of itself. So when you're falling backwards, you might not brace yourself for a fall or when you're falling down and when you're hitting the hole as a running back, you might not quite see out of the periphery that linebacker coming, those kinds of things. It's more common to see concussions in situations where players are crazy, crazy dehydrated because of all the ways that your body like loses some of its faculties and thus it can't take care of itself. So that certainly played a role in like if anything, just to a not perhaps being as aware as he's falling backwards and bracing his fall and maybe spraining a wrist or something like that. I also think that as we look at this, they did finish that game. He did escape. He didn't take any real big hits as the game went on. They didn't have an explosive day in offense against that Buffalo defense. I know Buffalo is a very heavily favored team. We'll get into that more in the latter part of the episode. But it does feel like to some degree or for some reason that Tua was on the whole. Okay, he was fine. He finished the game against a good, tough defense. Didn't take any big hits, etc. Right? That's on Sunday of NFL's Week 3. The real issue became that they played again on Thursday of NFL's Week 4 against the Cincinnati Bengals, which I think in the preseason was hyped up to be a big, big deal game. <laughs> By the time we got to that game, it was very apparent that, you know, the Bengals might not quite be who they were. They may be starting with a Super Bowl hangover or something. They had not had the start of the season that people saw them finish with last year. What's interesting here is that reportedly, and I say reportedly, they continued to test Tua on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday for concussions, and we know this because the reports were in a braggadocious manner that he passed concussion tests on those days, but NFL teams don't test their entire 53-man roster for concussions four days in a row following an NFL football game, so it's a little weird to me, at least, that they went on and decided to test him each and every single day. If he were really negative for a concussion on Sunday, why would you continue to take the tests? Are you just doing this because he took a concussion-like hit? Well, then why aren't you testing everyone who took a big hit to the head and had to come off the field for a second to get checked out? Like, why is that the protocol? Why was Tua taking tests Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? Again, I don't have an answer. They have not explained that. If anything, they bragged that he had passed the protocol on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday they didn't really explain why he was doing it at all. Uh, they get to the Thursday night game. Thursday night game, playing in Cincinnati. He gets tossed, like ragdoll tossed, like a quarterback will, will do sometimes in modern football. And he hits his head on the ground, and immediately his body starts going to this like almost convulsion. His hands are in front of his face in a very awkward situation that you can't imagine he would put them in. It's a very, very disturbing image and video. I don't actually recommend people watch it unless you have a stomach for that kind of stuff. I don't engage in like injury porn kind of things. You watch it over and over again and just kind of get hyped up on what's going on to a player. But it was very clearly, it looked almost like his brain was short-circuiting. It was really, really scary and intense moment. They did cart him off the field. They took his face mask off his helmet, etc. Uh, without, you know, stabilizing his neck and all of those kinds of things. Got him in the ambulance. Got him to the uh, head trauma center there at the University of Cincinnati, which was like the biggest and best place to go for those kinds of things in Cincinnati. They got him there. Uh, he does get discharged, did get discharged later on Thursday night and got sent home with the team that like, early Friday morning, late Thursday night, back to Miami. He's been under watch since then. He's done things that indicate like he's feeling better as of the recording of this on Sunday night than he felt last week 
on you know Friday morning, obviously, and those kinds of things. That said, the reaction on Twitter throughout all of Thursday night during the rest of the game, because they had to go back and play a game after this injury, the reaction on Twitter all Thursday night, Friday morning, etc., and frankly, since then, has been, oh my God, how could he be out there? There are even people calling for major, major lawsuits against the NFL, Miami Dolphins, doctors, etc., because if this was truly second impact syndrome, it could be harmful to his life. It could be immediately detrimental to his brain's health, all of the numerous things that could go wrong with him. And those are assuming bluntly that he survives that kind of contact. Uh, second impact syndrome is frankly deadly in some cases. And so that he survives it at all, if that's really what happened, is truly a miracle in and of itself. And so you're looking at this unfold on Thursday and Friday and a kind of struggle that Tua is undoubtedly about to go through as he tries to finish out his season, career, life, etc. Speaking of struggle. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but it'll <laughs> keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right, so amidst all that chaos on Twitter and everyone trying to point the finger and blame and, and things like that, on Friday, the NFLPA did decide to fire the doctor in charge, the neurologist in charge of clearing Tua Tagovailoa in that game on Sunday against the Buffalo Bills the previous day. I, I think what's interesting is that we can all point that, you know, finally the doctor does indicate that something happened. They had some sort of evidence that some reason he's at fault. Uh, these doctors are supposed to be completely independent neurologists. That means that they are not hired by the NFL itself, the 32 owners or ownership groups. They're not hired by the coaches or coaching staff. They're technically employed by the NFLPA, and that's why they have the right to fire them. Now, I think what it indicates is that Thursday night was awful and everyone's got to do something and that there's some sort of way to blame the doctor. I mean, we don't do this for a single Thursday night injury, right? As awful as the injury on the field was on Thursday night, if this were just about the injury from Thursday night, Injuries do happen in this full collision violent sport. Guys do get sent to the hospital. It's an unfortunate part of the violent aspect of this game. He was discharged from the top neurology center in the Ohio, Kentucky area there at U Cincinnati. And it feels hard to believe that like that institution had something, you know, negative to do or had something invested in getting Tua out of the hospital very quickly. 
going back to firing the original neurologist makes it feel like it had to be from the Sunday Buffalo game, right? Because what happened on Thursday, if that were truly an isolated incident, and he truly did not have a concussion on the Sunday prior, honestly, that's just an unfortunate reality of the dangers of playing football. And by firing this guy, it very clearly indicates that the NFLPA thinks it was not. Now, that's important to realize because the NFLPA is technically the group in charge of hiring these guys. So if, if they're the ones in charge of hiring and firing, it does indicate that these independent neurologists aren't 100% independent. They're just not hired by owners or coaches. They do work for the players. Now, it's interesting here because different players will have different ways to go about this. I know the player association, right, the union, will have one big umbrella term that is player safety, but players will also try to skirt that safety at various times, and there's no reason for us to think that Tua might not have been doing exactly the same thing. So in firing that doctor, it's interesting because we're then looking at, did we just fire someone to kind of do something? Like, like it's firing the doctor from, on firing the doctor on Friday, I should say, from the Sunday prior, just doing something for the sake of doing something, right? Is that really what happened there? What are they trying to say by firing the doctor? Is it admitting that there were big holes in what must have happened the Sunday prior? Because that's something they clearly would have just found out in the previous, like, what, 16 hours? Not quite, maybe maybe 20 hours. It was less than 24 for certain because if they had any indication that the doctor had taken shortcuts the Sunday before prior to kickoff of that football game, they would have had to have pulled from the football game. So it means that sometime in that like 18 to 20 hour window, looking at the NFLPA deciding there's enough loose, you know, endings in what happened the prior Sunday to decide to get rid of the doctor. And what's really, really interesting there is, is that this entire thing is supposed to be hinging on an independent neurologist that has no say or no stake, I should say, in whatever happens to Tua's career, right? It's a guy that just, or Tua in this instance, but the player's career. It's a guy that's entirely independent from the outcome of the football game having some sort of a say in the health of the player, if the player's allowed back on the field. So what else could be at play here, right? Like if the doctor may or may not have some say in this, the NFLPA clearly is firing this person to try and say they have some say in this. And I gave this thesis a D plus because I don't know that I feel fully comfortable giving the doctor all of the blame. I gave a D plus not an F. I do think he deserves some. The doctor in this case is a he, but the doctor as a whole, I guess, could be he's or she's or whatever. This case, the doctor does deserve some of the blame. But as I look at it, I think there's a lot of things at fault here and a lot of different places that this thing went wrong. If we're going to continue saying the doctor, I want to reiterate that it is impossible to have a completely independent doctor there on the field. Someone is writing that doctor's checks, and in this case, it was the NFL PA. And frankly, that means he is, at his core interest, invested some degree, whether it's the degree will vary, I guess, from doctor to doctor, but in the outcome, making the players happy, making the customer happy, has to happen at some point. Now, the NFL PA will say the way to make those guys happy is by making sure that they're safe. But that's kind of where I get into the other things at play here. Is safety the number one thing in Tua Tagovailoa's mind as he's playing in this season? We have to remember, he is 
facing more pressure in his third season than any quarterback in their third season with his kind of resume coming into the NFL should have to face. We know for a fact we have the recorded documentation from the lawsuit filed with the NFL that his previous coach did not like him, right? We have evidence to say that the previous administration in Miami was not trying to play him in his best situations. He was playing him because ownership felt like they needed to, and the coach did not want him on the field. The coach would rather play a veteran like Ryan Fitzpatrick to go out there and win games. We saw that play out on the field itself. We saw in various clutch situations, things like that, that Ryan Fitzpatrick would come in almost more like a closer, right, to step in and try and win football games instead of giving Tua the opportunity to go out and seize fourth quarters and learn through that, like you're seeing happen to so many young quarterbacks across the league, right? The same way we have clutch moments out of Joe Burrow, we didn't get those out of Tua, and Tua didn't get to learn how to play through those either because the previous administration was not in his back pocket. Now, I feel like it's worth pointing out that like we should trust NFL coaches and that that may have been their MO right as they're doing this, but I don't think it's necessarily easy for us to just assume that Brian Flores is like going to be out there to support two at all and that that had nothing to do with the kind of pressure two is facing here in his third season because it's theoretically finally the first time a coach is in his you know in his balls in his court he's supporting Tua and to have that happen in a guy's third season is certainly disheartening for a guy who has started you know was it like 20 plus games in the two seasons prior that's not the kind of thing a quarterback should have to deal with this early in their career theoretically a young quarterback showing up should be like a face of the franchise for a team that was having trouble winning games and that wasn't going to be the case for Tua initially it didn't seem like right it's also worth pointing out that this is the same Tua that the Miami Dolphins like literally tanked for, right? Tank for Tua was a very real thing. I mean, we remember the Dominic Foxworth talking about how like the field, the team that they were putting on the field the season before they got Tua was like inhumane. They were, they, it was not fair to the players to have such little effort invested in winning because they were trying to tank and get Tua. They ended up actually winning a few games that season and got Tua at the fifth pick, not the number one overall pick, which was Joe Burrow. I, I digress. It's interesting to say, though, that that fan base has had their eyes set on Tua more or less since he threw that Hail Mary bomb. Uh, it's Hail Mary, I guess, because there was time on the clock. But to beat Georgia in the national championship game as a young freshman, right? He threw that, actually, to Devontae Smith. There's a whole other fun thing with how many guys that are impactful pros were in that locker room. But Tua has been the guy Miami's wanted. He's had that pressure since before he even got to Miami, right? Miami's had their eyes set on him as their quarterback, as a fan base, since before he got there. Then you factor in those first two years where Brian Flores doesn't want him there and those kinds of things, and all of a sudden, you got a very, very toxic situation surrounding Tua putting pressure on himself and pressure externally for him to finally step up and be the man. Further, as an organization, right, we had Tua's internal pressure, external pressure from the fans. Now we have pressure in the organization because they've got the new coach. They've got new weapons around him, and they've got the great defense on the other side of the ball from him. They've got all these things that it feels like if he can't be successful now, can he be successful, right? They went on and got McDaniel, this innovative offensive coach that has openly talked about admiring and loving Tua. They went and got these weapons to help out Tua, guys that can turn those short, accurate passes that he does so well into huge, huge gains. They got and they got that in Jalen Waddle, and then went out and got paid a bunch of money to get Tyree Kill to do the same kind of thing and have both those guys out there. 
in Mike McDaniel. They also got a strong, strong running game. They got Raheem Mostert and guys behind Tua to help him as well because the run game is the young quarterback's best friend. So they have all of those different types of things and, and, and ways to help support Tua. Plus, they got that defense that was lights out a season ago, right? So all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, as an organization, they've also invested in Tua. That also puts pressure on Tua, et cetera, to be out there. If that weren't enough, they want to get a legitimate NFL guy that started a lot of games in Teddy Bridgewater to play behind Tua. That adds the pressure because if he can't get the job done, they got a guy that's at least adequate back there. He's not a top 10 quarterback in the league or anything like that, but he can at least complete a few balls, right? That's happening behind. All these things are set up for if Tua can't get the job done, they will just replace him. All of that pressure put together certainly does not make me think that the player's interest in this case, or at least Tua's interest in this case, is his long-term health. We heard from players right after the Thursday night game, right? Whitworth talking about how, like, he tried to fight with doctors to let him back on the field, right? He tried to, like, guys talk about this all the time. Tony Gonzalez has said the same thing on live television. Guys want to be out there playing. They, in the moment, cannot think about long-term physical, mental health, well-being, even just surviving. They're trying to go out there and play. And that's guys in both Tony Gonzalez and Jason Whit- and Whitworth that don't need to play. Their positions are solidified. Those guys are bona fide, probably Hall of Famers in Whitworth's case. And at the end of the day, they still had that pressure. They wanted to be out there playing. Tua is fighting for a job. He's got that pressure a thousand times over. Of course, if he has the minor concussion on Sunday, he's going to probably try and tweak this thing and the thing and push himself to be out there. And then if you're this doctor, your interest is supposed to be aligned with the players. This player is asking to be out there, fighting to be out there. Well, it's probably just a back injury. That must be, you know, he fell down his back hurts. That's why he, you know, wobbled off the field or whatever. When in reality, it was a number of different other things. And I'm sure his back also hurt. But at the end of the day, he also had this brain stuff happening as we're seeing play out on Thursday night. Now, I don't think that even just the pressure on Tua is to blame, though. And I don't mean to say that it doesn't somewhat come down to all of those factors and why he pushed himself on the field. But I do think that all of those pressures and factors play a role when you say that this doctor is supposed to be independent and it's impossible for them to be independent. And so if the entire system is going to hinge on this air quotes independent doctor and they can't be independent, can the whole system actually work? Meanwhile, if you're looking at things that you can actually, you know, tangibly fix, because the doctor being independent when that's actually impossible feels like something you can't tangibly fix. I think we have evidence now that Sunday afternoon to Thursday night is just too short. Even if the ding to Tua's brain was slight on Sunday, a week, you might have had a chance that these kinds of things don't happen. I'm not saying that he should have played at all in week four. I firmly believe that at this point he should not have it's fairly obvious I think that he should not have played in week four however if his week four game were like Sunday night and it's more than as far as the hours go just over a week later how does that hit land right maybe it's a second concussion but not the second concussion in a four-day window right we continue to push more and more football games how many games can we get in a week how many different nights of the week can the NFL dominate television and what that is doing is having a very very negative impact on players bodies we joked about it in like 2019 2020 how many of those thursday night games were absolute 
duds. They started putting marquee matchups on Thursday nights. And while that's like fun television, it's a Thursday night in, you know, most states you have Friday night, high school football, Saturdays are college football, Sundays are pro football, Monday night's the last game of the week. That's a ton of football across a four-day span. However, that Thursday night game is in part to blame here. The NFL itself and scheduling these games on Thursday night is in part to blame here because that's just too short of a window. They were testing him every single day, and frankly, I don't, I don't, I mean, again, I, I talked about this ad nauseum, but testing him every day indicates they knew something was wrong. The more days you have that testing in progress, maybe you have some sort of a, a thing pop up on the Friday test, like, hey, by five days later, if he was really okay, this would be back to normal or whatever, right? Now, he shouldn't have had been tested at all if he really was not positive for concussion on Sunday, but it still feels like the Thursday window was just too short. It certainly is the reason that the concussion, two concussions, theoretically, I guess I should say allegedly, theoretically, two concussions in that short of a window is certainly why it felt so serious and ended up being such a serious impact and such a scary, scary injury. Um, also, I think it's worth pointing out that had this been Sunday to Sunday or Sunday to Monday, there's a good chance we never know that the doctor was wrong. Right, there's a really good chance that as the outsiders, because we don't have privy or not privy to the information that like they tested Tua every day, like that didn't come out until after the hit. Right? They didn't tell us on Tuesday, yeah, we're testing him every day, just be sure. Like that did not ever come out. Because frankly, it looks really guilty, and because it was something they were doing behind closed doors. So if they went Sunday to Sunday and you know, that's just long enough that he gets away with it or just long enough that it doesn't look so bad or whatever. You know, the, the second concussion is just outside the window where he doesn't, like, convulse in the field. He just has to go to the blue tank and take it out of the game. All of a sudden, I say just like that's not a major injury. I should probably, like, cite that that is a fairly major injury. But all of a sudden, you've got Tua sitting there, and it doesn't look like any, you know, it's like, oh, man, he got dinged up again. It must, you know, it must be just a rough time to be Tua. When in reality, they definitely had to, played some role in one another, but if that goes Sunday to Sunday, we may never know. Uh, the last, I, I don't want to say last thing, one, one of the things I think does have to play a role here is that this is why people talk about small quarterbacks being a detriment in the NFL. Bigger guys like Cam Newton or Josh Allen don't get tossed around like that. Now, they do run the ball. They do take hits. I don't say they don't. Uh, we saw what the impact on the rest of Cam Newton's body was as his career went on and on and on. And I worry that Josh Allen may take some of those same things that they're trying to run him, which I, again, as a coach, enjoy running him. I think that that's one of his strengths. However, that won't play out well in the long-term look at his career. I also think that that plays a role because <laughs> the second hit, for sure, was him getting thrown around like a rag doll. That doesn't happen to a bigger, stronger player. Second, the first hit also probably doesn't launch a bigger stronger player as far backwards and he hit his head on the turf in both instances and so I think the impact of the hit is interesting to point out is not necessarily the collision that leads to either air quotes concussion because I guess technically the first one's not being diagnosed as concussion but it is the hit before the hit right it's like boom boom and a as a coach has been through the protocols and understands and has been through trainings and so on it's the hit hit boom boom that is supposed to be the far far more dangerous one and two it's also not a thing that happens when a big strong guy gets knocked in those kinds of ways because they don't get the second hit on the ground they're bigger stronger and react differently i do think it's interesting to think about how 
uh, Coach McDaniel has been, you know, floating through this. Uh, I think that a lot of people talk about, oh, coaches trying to get their guys in the game and coaching staffs and rah-rah and old school football and those kinds of things. I don't have that blame placed on McDaniel really in this instance at all. He was told by these doctors, this system, that Tua was okay, right? And he was then putting Tua out there because he adores Tua. He wants these moments for Tua. He wants the best for Tua. He said as much in numerous reports since he got hired there in Miami. And he, again, was told by the system and protocol that Tua was okay. Further, if Tua was not okay, he's got Teddy Two Gloves as a backup suitable replacement. That's as good as a backup as you can really have across the NFL right now. I know they don't win the game against Cincinnati, but frankly, if you look across the NFL, it's like, like yeah, Cooper Rush doing anything in Dallas, but Teddy Bridgewater is doing fine as far as a backup goes. That's totally suitable. Teddy, Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddell, and Coach McDaniel would have been suitable enough to try and win some games had Tua had to sit out a long period of time after the first, I say air quotes, first concussion, right? Like theoretically, that's enough to win some games. Maybe not win every game, maybe not win as many games, etc. But it certainly felt like enough to win some games. Now, if along the way here, uh, they didn't beat Buffalo in that game in the big picture, they get to see them again later this season as far as testing yourself as a team goes. And Buffalo is like the Vegas odds-on team to win the whole thing, right? Vegas had them as one of the favorites to win the Super Bowl, and they're certainly one of the favorites to win the AFC East and the AFC and all those kinds of things. Playing a close game with Teddy Bridgewater and your backup quarterback in that instance, given the conditions that were in Miami, even if they lost, on the whole... It's not that big a deal, right? You know you got a good team. You're going to have a fairly cakewalk schedule after the fact. I mean, we looked at, like, their whole schedule through the first eight games. They've got several games that they probably could win without anyone playing quarterback just snap the ball to Hiller Waddle. And I think what's interesting is that I don't think of McDaniel and all the things we've read and seen about him in his time both as a offensive skill position coach and those kinds of, and a coordinator and all that and his time as a head coach as short as it's been. He sees those bigger pictures and like the progress and growth of a team over the season. He's admitted that he has this adoration for Tua and really, really has been all in on team Tua as he got there. I don't think he's the kind of guy through those instances to force Tua out there, to pressure himself to put pressure on Tua to be out there. There's, again, the national pressures we talked about, but I don't think any of that is the case here. I don't think I can put the blame, while I put on a lot of different things, a lot of different people on Coach Mike McDaniel. I just think that it has to go somewhere else. So I sit here, I give this thesis a D plus because I do think that there's a lot of blame to go around. It almost passes because the doc certainly shares a lot of the blame. I just think the deal here with the doc is that the doctor is a cog in this machine and the machine itself failed. Like there's, there's no way around it here. The machine itself failed for a number of different reasons. The doctor is supposed to be independent. I don't think he can actually be independent. And while that means that the doctor absorbs some of the blame, the whole machine can't rely on a false premise. The false premise is the doctor is independent. And we outlined before why the doctor is not independent. And maybe the system needs to be some kind of change, right? Maybe it takes multiple opinions. Maybe it takes, you know, doctrine employed by a number of different resources. Maybe we just always err on the side of caution. If you go on the blue tank, you're just done. Who knows what those things need to lead to? But at the end of the day, I think this is an example of a giant, giant failure in the system. And 
The doctor is just a big part, but a part nonetheless. All right, friends, if you feel like you're caught up on all of the two nonsense from over the weekend, <laughs> I, I say that because I, I don't want to say like it's nonsense, like it's not super serious, but I feel like a lot of the takes online are very, very, very poor. So I hope you feel somewhat caught up about it. If you can find us on social media to talk about it some, you can find us on Instagram at F underscore N underscore sports and on Twitter at FN Sports 2. It's F-I-N-S-P-O-R-T-S number two. On both those social media handles, go to Linktree in the bio. They'll take you to all of our sponsors, The Beard Struggle, InTheClutch.com, Yeti, etc. And from there, you can also find all of our episodes and all different ways to get in contact with the show. You can also find me and my personal social media handles at Painsworth512. It's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H-512. So we'll be posting things that I write, record, etc. Some really, really fun announcements there coming out this week, I hope. And so I don't want to leave too I don't want to leak too much, I should say, but really, really make sure you're following me at Painsworth512 for a whole lot of fun stuff coming your way very, very shortly. If you're not with the show for free, you can do so by leaving a five-star rating, leaving us a positive review, downloading us, and subscribing to us on a number of different platforms. And whatever you do, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.